And if we get more rules handed down from the state, of course, we will adjust accordingly. But I will fill you in on what those rules are. Singles only, no doubles. Only every other court, you have to have a court between players, between people, sets of people playing. Um, every player, unless they're from the same, same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. <laughs> I'm going to blush, sorry. What the hell is that? Yes, my name is Brian. What would you say you do here? Stone on air. I'm so happy I could die. I'm so happy here. So happy I could die right now. Can't even put it into words. I'm so happy since you left me. I could die because I'm so happy. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in everybody to the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone on Air podcast. Available in weekly installments, generally speaking, a day late. This week, I'll get to why I am a day late here shortly. This is the 21st of May, and there you go. We're three weeks down. Memorial Day's early this year. It's going to be here, you know, Monday, and then we'll have a whole other week left of May after that, but that'll go by in an absolute blink, and then we'll be in June. Right now, it should be about three weeks from Bonnaroo, or actually, I think it's a little later in the year. It might be one month, regardless. Right now, I should be getting ready for Bonnaroo, and um, that's not happening. Just like all of our normal things are not happening, and uh, I guess I'm getting more and more used to it as the year goes along. I have, a, uh, I think, a pretty fun show put together for today. I hope you will agree with me on that. Uh, real quick TV show update. During the quarantine or semi-quarantine times we've had here since late, or I guess it was March, uh, early March, uh, Hands Made Tale, I am kind of stalled on. I haven't finished that third season yet. Just It's, it's not that I've lost interest. It's just plenty of things going on. Um, I'm going to do an entire segment on The Last Dance, Michael uh, Jordan and the Bulls from the 90s. And so if that's not your thing, you can feel free to check out on the tail end of the show. But there's a connection with Pearl Jam in there that I'm going to have fun with. In the final segment of the show, so I won't talk about that right now. Uh, Portlandia, y'all ever seen this show? It's really, really, really good. I don't know what channel originally came on. Some kind of internet channel before there was uh, streaming TV. It's been around since 2011. It's Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live, where you would know him the most. He he was a, a drummer for the house band for Seth Meyers' uh, Late Late Show on NBC for a little while. I don't think he does that anymore. It's him and uh, one of the uh, girls from Gals from... Uh, Sleater Kinney. It is a, a band that opened for Pearl Jam, speaking of which, a couple times, 10, 12, 13, some odd years ago. And she is freaking hilarious. And it's him and her. And it's uh, it's a, it's an awesome show. It's based in Portland, uh, Oregon. And a lot of the jokes are about, you know, the, the lifestyle out there. It is uh, really good stuff. I've been watching a lot of it again. And I found a new show. I found a new one. Or not, excuse me, not a new one, but added a new show into my regular rotation. You know, we all have that one or two shows that we can just always put on in the background, right? Like, if you're, certainly if you're around 35 years old or older at this point, Seinfeld is probably that for you. Um, that's pretty universal. Friends, for many, would be that. The Office, 
certainly, uh, maybe even that was skewered to a younger demographic, maybe even 30 and above, would put the office on at any point, at any time. Whether you've seen it 10 times or three times, whatever the episode is, it can always be watched again. And for years, uh, since around 2013, The Big Bang Theory has been that show for me. That I doesn't matter how many times I see these in on TBS and TNT, whatever channels they come on, I can always just put it on in the background. Come home, grab the clicker, TBS, there's Big Bang, sit down, make something to eat, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I watched this show many years ago, and I knew that it was technically pretty good, or at least entertaining, but I forgot. And it's Shark Tank, the entrepreneurial... Uh, venture capital pitching kind of show where they, you know, the sharks, as they call them, the 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 investors will put the money into whatever the 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 pitch is for the product or the the business, whatever it might be. And I'd seen it several times years ago, and I thought it was a little hokey. And I get bored and tired of some of the fake dialogue in these quote unquote reality shows. But it might be just in my older age, my fascination with entrepreneurs and how impossible. It seems like uh, that kind of venture to make money is that I'm finding this show fascinating. I can't turn it off. I can't turn it off. And there's 10 years of this. So I just put it on CNBC or whatever channel that it seems to be on all day, every day. And I get a new episode to me virtually every time I turn the damn thing on. So I've been watching a ton of Shark Tank recently. Uh, I saw this in my inbox, the Nuga newsletter. It is... A highlight of a local guy doing, well, a very recent local guy doing a podcast called The People of Chattanooga Podcast. Dude's name is Luke Swab. He started this show on March 23rd. Seems Looks to be a younger guy. Might be in, could be in his mid-30s. Early 30s, probably more likely. And uh, this big write-up by Nuga. Now, Nuga's given me some love in the past. And I got a couple people sending me this link on Twitter, probably expecting me to lose my bleep over it. Like, oh, why aren't you giving me love and giving this dude who just moved here quite literally, when was it, four years ago from Michigan, outdoor-loving type guy, and just looking for a new place to live. He ended up here, and now he's doing this podcast. What did I say it was called again? People of Chattanooga, the POC podcast. So search it out if you want to give it a listen. I, uh, I checked it out a little bit earlier today. He's got nine episodes, and here's the description from Apple Podcasts. POC is a weekly podcast that interviews the unique individuals that make up this wonderful city. They are the adventurers, risk takers, entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, movers and shakers of the city. They are bold. They have succeeded or failed. They are not the mundane. They have a story to tell, and this is where they can do that. Welcome to the people of Chattanooga podcast. And all I would say to young, what's his name again, Luke Swab, is make sure you pick your guest selectively and don't make it an infomercial. We already have enough of those around town. And I would say do your homework, reach out to other podcasters in the city for cross-promotion because some of the more interesting people in the city are the people doing things like podcasts. Um, so far, he's had nine shows, a uh, kayaker I've never heard of. And I'm not being derogatory or mean. I'm just saying I just don't know who it is. Natalie, uh, somebody from Outdoor Industry Photographer, Les Warnock. Don't know who that is. Wes and Elizabeth from Charles Barbecue. Only heard of that. Randy Orton. Used to have him in with Jeff and uh, at, at the old radio station from Wild Trails. Have him in many times. Know him very well. Uh, Andrew Gage from Velo Coffee. I've only heard of the coffee joint itself. 
And uh, the one I listened to for a little bit was uh, Bowers, Jason Bowers from The Bitter Alibi. And I know him and I know his story already, but I did listen to it for about 20 minutes or so. And for an upstart, it's not that bad. I would just say be sure to not just be another uh, celebration of mediocrity podcast, which are so many of these that are out there. Hey, let's talk to so-and-so. And it's a poor interviewer. It's a poor interviewee. And it's an infomercial and it's wasting people's time. If you can get away from that, it might uh, it might be worth checking out, so you can decide that for yourself. The People of Chattanooga podcast. This past weekend, uh, I had a fun weekend. Stopped at Station Street on Friday. That's really become like the thing to do right now while there's nothing to do because they bring out tables, stir, backstage, songbirds. I don't know if Terminal does it, but they bring out the tables all on the street, and you can just walk around and get a drink. It's, it's like nightfall without a band. It's really the best thing to do in Chattanooga right now. And Friday night, I was sitting on one of the uh, uh, just benches right by the by the road, by the terminal, waiting for a friend of mine to meet me. And a dear friend of mine, I won't call her out by name, um, just because, just for no reason, I love her to death, and she drove by, she saw me, and she rolled down the window, and she yelled, Brian Stone, go home! <laughs> and, and, you know, because of the shelter-in-place we need we need to not be opening up yet, uh, types and uh, love you, but no, no, no. It's it's time to get out. On Saturday, I met uh, some friends out uh, or up on or down in Sequatchie Valley, up on Kegel Mountain, an area that I have very rarely been to at all. Most of it, actually, once I got to Kegel Mountain, I'd never been to ever. I've been into Sequatchie Valley a couple of times. And it, it's just a different world out there. It was a gorgeous day and went out in the woods, hung out by the, you know, the water and waterfalls and whatever. And, you know, that's it's not exactly my scene, but I certainly can appreciate it and enjoy an afternoon like that. But I stopped at the Kegel Mountain, I don't know, whatever the hell it was, general store, uh, I guess. They have, you know, little pizzas and chicken fingers and that kind of food and a bunch of beer and drinks at full service, big night, you know, for a redneck ass area like Gagel Mountain, a pretty nice stop, a gas station, all the works. And I'll tell you what, in this world, in this land, you would not think there was even such a thing as a coronavirus or a COVID-19, right? I mean, I'm the guy who's saying this isn't as big a deal as we're making it uh, out to be and we're destroying our economy over it and it's time to reopen. It's time to start moving on with life, right? So I'm not trying to be, you know, scare everybody to death with this, but I still believe that it's real and still think that there needs to be many guidelines put in place in public uh, establishments. Uh, yeah, they don't give an F about that up on Kegel Mountain. There, it, the only thing they had was some plastic in front of like where the cashier would stand, like the the, the plexiglass kind of thing that most most uh, convenience stores have. That's it. There was no signage. There was no labeling on the floors. There was no concern about any of this on in any way. Next door, uh, connected to it, it's not even next door. It's uh, there's a diner, and they were serving food just as normal. There was no uh, tables roped off. There was no sign on the door. Nothing. It was like. Screw you, COVID. You don't exist up here on Kegel Mountain. And uh, I don't mean much more than that other than observation. I wore my America's Already Great hat just because I knew I was going to be around a lot of MAGA types. And one more before I lay out the menu of the show. I listened to a podcast. I've been listening to it a bunch uh, over the last couple of years. I'm 
don't remember if I've talked about it much on the on this show, and I will likely use a bunch of his audio at some point. I'm surprised I haven't already. His name is Malcolm Gladwell. If you haven't listened to, read anything this guy's done, know anything about him, you're and you enjoy listening to people talking to microphones because clearly that you do enjoy that. You need to give this stuff a listen. He's got so many different things. What I've been listening to the most is his revisionist history podcast where he just basically just looks back at anything in history from a long time ago to last month and reevaluates it. Kind of the misunderstood nature of most things really in uh, world culture, but certainly American culture. It is fascinating stuff and it is the perfect representation of walking, you know, 10 miles to go five feet. Like it's, you've got to have some patience with it, but it almost always pays off, especially if it's talking about a a subject matter that you enjoy. The one I was listening to this, uh, this Saturday on the drive to Kegel and back to the house was evaluating and comparing and just talking about the world of Elvis Presley, Pat Boone and Taco Bell. And he connects those all together, making a brilliant, brilliant observation by the end of the show. But you got to be there the whole time and dissect every bit of it. And if you don't know why you're there, you might get bored. Give this guy a listen. And I, I can't, I'd have to just let you hear the entire podcast to be able to explain to you how Elvis, Pat Boone, and Taco Bell could possibly be in the same podcast. It's fascinating stuff. All right, let's see. Try not to uh, be real long today, but of course I say that every week. The final segment of the show I already mentioned, Last Dance, uh, featuring uh, what Pearl Jam music involved with the documentary and uh, some audio from Eddie Vedder. And in the second segment of the show, I originally had, this is what I have on the show sheet, random stories I haven't gotten to, mostly local. Well, I have a line through that now, just a single line, and then wrote in my handwriting next to it, the riverfront sucks. <laughs> and the reason for this segment, I realized, first of all, when I was looking at all these random stories, I was like, this one deserves an entire segment. It was uh, kind of, it came out of a uh, Weston Womp uh, tweet the other day about the riverfront. And it got me looking more, reading more, thinking more, and thought, yeah, we can do a whole segment on that. So that'll be in the second segment of the show. But first, I've got a worst idea and a coolest thing audio for you today. But before I get to that, a quick mention. The reason I didn't get to the podcast in time this week is that out of nowhere, I decided to get a new kitten. And um, if you're around regularly, you know that my beloved cat of 12 years, her name was Dudro, uh, died, got hit by a car in a very, very uh, out-of-the-ordinary situation because she was never on the road. It's one of those what the hell happened kind of things. She was very healthy, loved her to death, and uh, I was heartbroken, heart, heart, heartbroken over that. And my uh, mom and my dad and my friends and my girlfriend and people were like, hey, we'll, we'll get you another cat. We'll get you another one. I'm like, guys, <laughs> enough. I don't want another cat. I want my cat. I don't want your cat. I don't want their cat. I want mine. And so it's been about, I did the math the other day, and I can't remember what it was exactly, but over 200 days since that happened, about 215 days or so. And a friend of of Brittany's posted on Facebook an unexpected litter, and there was three little kittens that were all girls, and they were all tuxedo cats, meaning that uh, that jet black coat with the white paws and the white under the, the face and stomach, just like Dudro. And went and picked out the one that looked the most like her 
and they're spitting images. I mean, they, they, it is it is Doudreau's twin, and I don't like male cats. I I, I prefer pets to be females, and um, she is she's a joy. She's a delight, and I I was nervous. I was like, I don't I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I want a cat, and um, but I just looked at her and thought, oh my god, this cat is gorgeous, and. Got her here at the house, and she's eating and drinking and running around and playing and looks exactly like Doudreau, and her name is Budrow. Budrow is her name. I'll maybe tell the story as to why Doudreau and Budrow are cat names I have used, but uh, I am very, very happy, very, very happy to have this uh, little kitten in my life. She is exactly what I needed at this time. All right, let's get to the worst idea first. It's got a uh, open. This guy's name is Blake Snell. He's a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. He actually is a very prominent one. He's won the uh, Cy Young recently, uh, but I just had to have a reason to get this uh, Key and Peele uh, bit in there. Balake, where is Balake at? No Balake here today. Yes, sir. My name is Blake. <laughs> Balake. Blake Snell talking about uh, he he's not going to take a pay cut to put his life in danger for the Rona, bro. And on top of that, so all that money's gone, and now I play risking my life. And and what and if I get the Rona? On top of that, if I get the Rona, guess what happens with that? Oh yeah, that stay that's in my body forever. That damage is not going to be like Jesus. the damage that was done to my body. That's going to be there. Shut forever. up, dude. So now I got to play with that. On top of that, so y'all got. I mean, y'all got to understand, man. For me to go, for me to. Take a pay cut is not happening because the risk is through the roof. Why? It's a dude? shorter season, less pay. Like, bro, it's, yeah, man, I gotta, no, I gotta get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine. Okay? And that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry if you guys think differently, but the risk is way the hell higher and the amount of money I make is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? Blake. What? <laughs> Are you out of your goddamn mind? <laughs> I forgot I added that part to it. Um, yeah, dude. Like, oh my god. And uh, first of all, bro, if I get the Rona, I mean, he sounds like a fourteen-year-old for crying out loud. Um, just a terrible, terrible look. Sounds awful. And he's since walked that back. But uh, yeah, come on, bro. I think it was on Twitch playing video games or something. Come on, grow up, first of all, dude. But, yeah, I'm done with it. Shut it all down. Don't play the sports if you don't want. doesn't bother me at all. People are acting like if they don't play baseball, everybody's going to lose their bleep. I, I don't even know what the point is. You know, playing games in front of nobody, I spent a lot of time on that here recently. I won't do that again. I'm actually hoping that they cancel the NFL or at least don't let fans come so I don't have to pay my $2,000-plus a year for my Titans tickets that I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a stadium that only allows 20,000 people in to a 60,000-seat stadium. That's not what this is about. I don't spend all this money so I can go sit in a cavernous, empty stadium wearing a mask. And it's not what this is all about. So 2020 is uh, is just done. Forget it. <laughs> just forget it. Over, right? If you want to get together and play a few baseball games, I guess I'll watch. Um, I just hope that whenever they do play NFL games, that I get an email from the Titans saying, yeah, you're not allowed in, so here's your money back. That's what I'm hoping for. And today's coolest thing was Wednesday's Pardon the Interruption with Tony Kornheiser and uh, Mike Wilbon talking about Gabe Kapler. He used to be the Phillies manager. Now he's the uh, Giants manager. Talking about how if they do play ball, all these guidelines that are really outlandish and ridiculous to think that they could actually happen, but... He's not a fan of the idea that they're not going to be allowed to spit 
on the field while they play. Tony and Mike are today's coolest thing. Giants manager Gabe Kapler was on KNBR radio in San Francisco and says it will be, quote, a tremendous challenge, close quote, to stop spitting. Tone, do you agree it will be a tremendous challenge? Let me list things that I believe have been a tremendous challenge. Putting a space capsule on the moon was a tremendous challenge. (laughs) Building the Panama Canal was a tremendous challenge. Getting the polio vaccine was a tremendous challenge. This is not a tremendous challenge. I know that he's going to work real hard. I think he's man enough to change the habit and not spit for three hours. It is a challenge that is as great as saying to baseball players, don't breathe. What are you, nuts? They can't stop spitting. So let's go over this again. Let's return to this theme. There are at the moment 90,000 people and counting who have died from coronavirus. There are millions of people out of work. And this guy is calling it a tremendous challenge to not spit. Let's not make this into Greek tragedy, okay? Let's just take two and hit to right on this. Change your habits for the good of everybody. People want to see baseball. I I think it's possible to not spit. In the same way that if there was a sign in front of the Supreme Court that said, while we're hearing your case, please don't spit, I think people would be able to do it. Love, 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 Mike and Tony. And if you want to look at all the guidelines for baseball potentially going forward with no fans in the stands and no spitting and no high fives or what, blah, blah, blah. It's it's stupid. It's stupid. And if you want to know, you already do know. So I'll wrap up the first segment right there. Coming up next, the downtown riverfront was once upon a time the biggest thing going on downtown Chattanooga. As a matter of fact, it was roughly 20 years ago that Bob Corker's Riverfront 2.0 was becoming a reality. What's gone wrong? Why is it not working like it once did? I don't know that we'll get to those answers, but I'll talk about it coming up next. Stone on Air will be right back. He's cool. Stoneonair.com. And I thanked him and he wrote me back. In the small world department, I have been the chair of a child welfare agency for the past 15 years or so. Along with being chair comes being president of the school board that runs the public junior and senior high school that serves our residential population. We had a school board meeting this evening via Zoom, and the super starts by asking me if I know you. He goes on to say that he's a follower of your podcast and heard your reference to me, so I am known to at least one person. You know, so that, that is something that happened, and I, I wrote him back and I said, it is always thrilling to hear stories like this when one of my listeners encounters someone I've talked about and a small connection is made. I have no idea how many people listen, where they are, who they are. But when people listen to non-music radio shows or podcasts, it is always, always because they feel connected to the host and they join the greater club that listens. That connective tissue spreads out among listeners like a spider web. So happy you were caught in it. Now, I didn't mean to have Tony Kornheiser audio clips twice in this show this week, but things change so quickly from day to day, week to week. That uh, that's just how it worked out. This is by uh, the song is Camper Van Beethoven. The song is called Aya Fatima. Fantastic song from a Prague alt Americana rock band from the '80s, college radio from the '80s, basically. And I'm playing it because Jason Kirk from Nuga Radio 92.7 here in town. He is. Primarily, he does a lot of different things over there at that radio station, but he is uh, 
I guess just Jeff Styles' producer for the most part. Um, but he does so many other things. And he posted some lyrics on Facebook, and it was of this song. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I didn't think there would be another person, you know, outside of uh, people that I ran with 25, 30 years ago that have never even heard of this band, let alone posting lyrics from it. And uh, I don't know, it got me thinking about it, and uh, it's a great song. So I pulled it and decided to play it today. And so the original reason for putting Tony's uh, clip from his podcast on the front end of the rejoin was just I felt that and I believe that and I think it's such a real thing and I uh, I get where he's coming from where there's a real joy when someone tells you that they listened to you and that it meant something to them or that they enjoyed it. And I was thinking about that because after, uh, I don't remember the timeline, but at some point I heard his show, I listen to it every day or every day that it's, it's released or available. That same day I was at Starbucks grabbing a coffee before I went up to Kegel Mountain as I was talking about earlier. And I was standing there waiting for my iced mocha. And, of course, we're in weird times where you want to stay away from everybody. But a dude next to me goes, hey, man, uh, are you Brian Stone? I was like, yeah. Yeah, man. He's like, man, I listen to your show every day, dude. Uh, or some fra- paraphrase of this. I love it, man. I love it. And I was like, "That man, thank you. I, I, I don't get that a lot. I get it more uh, than I probably even remember. But I really, really do, uh, really appreciate that. And it makes it does it, it makes my day. As much as I don't want to do small talk, and as much as I want to be left the bleep alone, when someone goes out of their way, recognizes me, and tells me that they enjoy the work that I do, it really makes me feel good. The problem is, is most time they're talking about the radio, <laughs> the ninety-eight-seven. That was such a powerful little tiny stick. And he has, that's because I knew what he was talking about later. I was like, oh, he was talking about the radio, not the goddamn podcast. See, I, I wish I got every time, man, I love your podcast, because that's what I put the most work into. Normally, it's, I like the radio show, but I'll take anything I can get, and it really is something that I cherish and I feel very good about. So I thought about that when I heard Tony talking about that. That's why I went with that. So anyway, none of that has anything to do with where I'm going with this segment. Weston Womp, he is a local guy. Most of the listeners of this podcast probably know who he is, but just in case you don't, he's the son of Zach Womp, who was the third district congressional representative from 1994-ish, right after Marilyn Lloyd, whenever that was in the mid-90s or so, until just about seven years ago or so, six, seven years ago or so. It is a seat that Chuck Fleischman currently holds, and he will continue to hold as long as as he and the Republicans feel like having that seat. His son, Weston, is probably, he was 27 in 2014, I think is what I was just looking at, meaning he would be, what, 33 right about now, and he's venture capitalist. Um, I, I, I don't know him necessarily. I've been in the halls at radio stations constantly with him before. I've interacted with him many times. I have a feeling... He doesn't really know or remember any of those, and that's fine. Busy guy, been in, uh, you know, kind of following dad around through the halls of D.C. and and uh, lots of uh, lots of different life experience than I'll ever have. And he is just loaded with talent. Uh, again, I'm not exactly sure if he's the most likable guy. I, I I can't be sure about that, but I can be sure of one thing: absolutely loaded with talent from all uh, different angles, but most specifically the spoken word format, talk radio. The guy was in his mid-20s killing it in talk radio formats from old GOW to then 
uh, the show they call The Pitch on 105.1 on the uh, ESPN radio station here locally. I, I don't know if that show's still on. It was awful. Awful in the sense that it was on a sports radio show and he talked uh, any combination, and it was caller-driven too. I don't, I don't do caller-driven, but it was any combination of politics, presidential, uh, local, national, what anything that's on whoever's calling's mind, or what the Braves did last week or yesterday. And I love political commentary. Well, I like it. I used to love it. I, I tolerate it now. And I like, and I used to love sports commentary, and I don't necessarily love it anymore either. But I, I'll take either one. But don't you dare combine the two. Don't do that. That's just wrong. That's dumb. That's not quality entertainment. And so I've never listened to that radio show, but he now has a, uh, a podcast that I have just sampled a little bit, and I've been meaning to listen to it more. It's really, really good. Swamp Stories is the name of it. So while I'm throwing out other podcasters, Give it a look. Uh, search it out wherever you search out anything. It is very good stuff. He has found his uh, his niche now. He's found his place where he can make the most effective noise, and um, I'm uh, I'm eager to listen to more of that. Love to have him on the show someday. Would love to have more interactions with him. I just don't know that he knows or cares about who I am. But I say all that to say it started from a Twitter uh, conversation uh, just the other week, and he does follow me on Twitter, by the way, so he at least somewhat knows who I am, but it started off with, this is his tweet, the Riverfront District has now lost Easy Bistro, Big River Grill, and Blue Water. That area is a shell of its former self. Candidates for mayor in 2021 will be asked how to revive what is just recently known as the crown jewel of Chattanooga's Renaissance, and then there's a uh, a link to the Times Free Press story of the Easy Bistro moving over to um, one of the vacant, uh, recently vacant areas right next to the West Village, the Weston Hotel, and all that area that's kind of hip and trendy right off the interstate at MLK. And I did not know that Easy Bistro was moving, so I read that story. And that's just basically better deal, hipper area, more foot traffic, that kind of thing. I knew that Blue Water was gone and has been gone for a little while. And Big River, there's still talks about whether they're going to be coming back or not because of the Gordon Biersch and the uh, the other parent companies' uh, bankruptcies or I don't know how much of it was COVID-19 related or not, but there's a, there's a big mess there. And those are some major holes near the riverfront. Uh, let's see. So somebody then responds to Weston on Twitter. It says, basically, here's a here's a way to uh, to fix the issue with the kind of dormant riverfront area. Easy. Lower the rents. Add retail. People are there anyway. We have plenty of restaurants and make free parking on Saturdays, too. I don't know if it's quite that simple. Uh, then uh, Weston is responding to something else and then says, basically saying, someone asked him if he was running for mayor. He says, no, I'm not running for mayor. Then it says, I just think it's interesting that 20 years after Bob Corker was laying out Riverfront 2.0 and that district was hot as a match, it is now in need of some TLC. Someone asked about uh, the Big River closing. He said, Blue Water has been closed for more than a year. Big River downtown closed as part of the recent Gordon Biersch bankruptcy filing. I'm told that it may reopen. This is somebody just responding. Generally, it says the Riverfront area has been losing steam for years. Locals don't hang out down there. Fourth and Market area has had trouble for years, and now the Broad Street section 
is hurting. Uh, And one more here. It says, oh, and don't forget that 212 Market closed and 2nd and Market literally collapsed. (laughs) Talking about the Cheeburger, Cheeburger building. And what else was over there? Uh, That Gingsu, Gingjing, Gung, whatever it was, grill. That building literally fell to the ground in pieces. Uh, Throw in there also the problems that there's been with loitering. And uh, I don't think they're real gangs, wannabe gangs, young punk kids having too much uh, freedom and time on their hands, too much loitering and soliciting. That was back also, I think, more when parking was free in those Unum lots. Since that's changed, I feel like that problem has kind of fixed itself. There was uh, the Mosaic building. It's, 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 that was what it was called, a... Uh, not a church, but some kind of gathering of young people, fellowship-ish kind of thing in the last 10, 15 years, brought more young people, brought more troublemakers. Uh, there's been issues over at the aquarium with loitering and gathering of young people. That seems to have kind of thinned itself out and not been near as big a problem as of late. But it's this isn't new. It's been the lame end of downtown for... I mean, maybe going on 10 years, certainly going on half a decade. The resurgence of the South Side is certainly a a lot of that. I don't know that the West Village is really all that hot. I think that's a a lot of uh, branding and advertising and uh, just, hey, look at us over here. I, I I just don't know. I haven't experienced it much myself, so I'm not entirely sure. But the, uh, the South Side is certainly where it's at, and, and the South Side continues to revitalize the further you go down Broad Street, and that's an easy one to figure out. It's not cool to hang out on the downtown side of the river on Ross's Landing, and it used to be, and it's not anymore, and that stuff changes, and I don't know what you do. I don't know if the mayor, whoever that's going to be in 2021, has to come in and do something about it. I'm not sure. Sometimes time just works these things out, but just think about it. It's stupid river bend. It, the, that, the ballpark just doesn't work there where it's at. It, it worked 20 years ago. It doesn't work now. It's a nuisance. Uh, most of the people that are tourists in town are not here necessarily for a baseball game. And most of the locals that want to go to a ball game don't want to go to that crappy park and have to find parking downtown somewhere. You know, it, and walk up the hill and, it, and have the sun set in your eyes. It's just, it's just not... A very good fit. A lot of those restaurants are bland and boring. Buffalo Wild Wings moved down there. There, the, the Applebee's didn't make it. The Chili's came, you know, twenty years ago. Uh, Big Rivers, effing boring stuff, man. It's not good. Blue Water was fine, but it, it was, it was, it, you know, it just didn't, it didn't work for whatever reason. Um, Easy Bistro is fine, and you know they're gonna probably do a little bit better. I would say in a new location would be my first guess based on the article that I read. But it's not that difficult to figure out. It's just an evolution of people moving away from that area. Just look, it's still on the North Shore, there's still that trendiness amongst thirty and forty something. Certainly forty somethings. The the Coolidge Park, take the kids. You got the Moon River Festival that gives it that kind of legitimacy that it needs to feel still have that hip feel. You don't get any of that on the other side of the river. You get uh, Hennens, right? Okay, an overpriced place where people in suits go to eat. Now, the Blue Plate and the local 191 is some of my, you know, my favorite food and drink in the city, but I don't go there anymore. I don't ever go there. And I certainly miss it, but I don't miss it enough to make a special appointment to go. Riverfront Nights, not that cool of a music series. It's just not. 
It's a it's a low rent B level C level kind of production. It's fine. It's fun. It's a nice little time, but it's nothing to get excited about. There's nothing hip. There's nothing cutting edge about anything going on over there. And um, that might be okay though, right? It might be all right if you get enough tourism tourism to continue to fuel that. But right now, hey, look what's happened. Tourist industry falling off a cliff. The, the aquarium's sucking wind over there, trying to feed all those animals and then keep people employed without a single <laughs> paid admission. You know, I, you know, you live and die by the tourist dollar, and and there you go. You live or you die. This is from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. Mike Parry wrote it at the very end of last year. It's called One Riverfront. Chattanooga aims to inject energy into downtown's waterfront district, making it more walkable, livable, and comfortable. And keep in mind, this was all before COVID-19 was ever anything any of us had even heard of. The planning process called One Riverfront Chattanooga will look at the district bordered by the Tennessee River, Forest Street, Cameron Hill, and the Bluffview Arts District. The plan is slated to be ready by July 4th. Kim White from the River City she's the uh, chief executive, said one of the key issues to address is the loss of energy on the riverfront. She said, for example, that parking revenues are down 20% in the waterfront district. Again, this is the last quarter of last year. Dude named Keith Sanford, who heads up the Tennessee Aquarium, said the district, quote, has lost some of its shine to other parts of the downtown area, citing vacant restaurants as an example. So they brought in a Columbus, Ohio-based urban design and planning firm called MKSK. They've been hired to lead this study. Of course, they're bringing somebody from out of town. And, of course, the cost for this uh, this design firm to come in, th- those those have not been revealed, I'm sure. They're absurdly, absurdly high. goes on and on and on and on. I won't spend too much time on it. So basically, they get it. There's an issue here, and we try to figure out what to do about it. Uh, talking about the uh, the stadium being a mess. Now, this was also before that there was issue of the contraction of the minor league teams. And the worst kept secret is that the that the uh, lookouts were going to move to the south end of the uh, of the city where the uh, Wheeling Foundry is now. But all who knows now? Who knows with the economy coming to a halt? Who knows with COVID nineteen and where it goes? Who knows with whether the the team gets contracted from its affiliation with Major League Baseball? And I, I again, I, I said at the end of last segment, I don't think I'm going to have any answers. I'm just, I'm just kind of looking at the issues. It's one of those don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Well, I don't have any solutions for you. That's not my job. That's not what I'm here to do. I think getting the baseball park out of there is going to be a big help. But what happens with the team? And, you know, I I would be heartbroken losing the major league affiliation of the minor league system of the Chattanooga Lookouts, of a team that's been in existence since, like, 1885. I think I'm right. I think I'm right on that number. It's in the, it's, it's, it's in the 19th century, anyway, late 19th century. But at the end of the day, how many people actually care whether the team has any affiliations with who or what or why, right? It's just a place for younger people to go have drinks and socialize. It's a place for families to go and have a safe, fun night out and uh, anything in between and all that. So I, I, if, there, if we want to have a semblance of professional baseball in Chattanooga, we'll have it. We'll always have the lookouts. We own those rights, or at least somebody in the town does. If we want to have the Chattanooga lookouts professional baseball team, 
we'll have that. So get that out of downtown or you know off the river. Get that to where it needs to be on the other end of town. And then I don't know what to do. I don't know, but it is a shell of itself, and it has been for a long time. And, I mean, Taco Mac, boring as it gets. It's fine, but it's boring. Panera Bread, love it for lunch. You think I'm going to go drive to 4th Street, downtown Chattanooga, to go to Panera Bread for lunch or any time? Not happening. Big Chill got out of there a while ago. Oh, hey, let's go to Chili's. Yeah, how about no, bro? Uh, Hair of the Dog would about, about be the only place left on that end of town that would be considered a cool, hip place to go, and it's a quality, fun joint, other than people smoking there, and that sucks and makes me sick. But they have good bar food, and they have cheap high life on draft and all that. It's a fun atmosphere. Outside of that, there's not much left, right? I mean, what else is there to do on that end of town if you're a local? What, uh, throw an axe? Um, make some, blow some some glass, right? Don't they have a little glass blowing joint down there? Get some ice cream? Get a Five Guys burger? I mean, seriously. Uh, there's not. There's really not. And with tourism falling apart right now, I'm not sure what you do. The, whoever the next mayor is, Tim Kelly hopefully, uh, has a lot on their plate on that end of town. Coming up next, I am going to give my final thoughts on The Last Dance, the 10-part Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls 1990s documentary, docu-series, not really a documentary, just an overall through Michael Jordan's production company, fun look at a really great time of basketball in the 1990s and how my guy Ed Ved and Pearl Jam fit into that. I will put it all together and wrap up the show coming up next. More of Stone On Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. This is a, a good time to go. It's a great run. We've had a wonderful time. Good team. Time to go. Bear with me on this. It'll be a couple minutes long. It's the end of the tenth episode of the. I remember doc. there was this team meeting with Phil, and it was like, "This is it." My wife had gotten her master's in social work, and she was part of a group that went in to help people that were grieving. One of the things they did was a ritual in which they kind of put things to rest. He says, you know, this is it. This is the last dance. Last time we're ever going to be together. He asked everybody to bring in anything you want to write about what the team means to you. Write what being on this team has meant to you during this year and read it and we'll burn it in a coffee can. And every guy had emotional words to say. And I remember Michael actually wrote a poem. It was a depth of emotion that you never thought he had. You can spend your time alone. Phil had this knack, no matter how big you are or how big you think you are, to always draw you in to be a part of the process. I'm not a poet. I just spoke what I felt at the time. We always gonna be bonded. You say thanks for the past, enjoy the moment, let's make sure we end it right. We saw him as this bully sometimes. But that day he showed his compassion and his empathy for all of us. Then everybody put the paper in the can and at the end of the session, 
Phil turned out the lights and he lit the, uh, the paper in the can. One of the most powerful things I've ever seen. back that's very gratifying to come from Wilmington, North Carolina and never been in Chicago that became my home and became a part of my history my passion on the basketball court should have been infectious because that's how I tried to play I played for them started with hope started with hope went from a team to one of the all-time best dynasty. All you needed was one little match to start that whole fire. And it goes on here. This is a six-minute song, present tense from Pearl Jam. Just a spine-tingling, goose-bump-inducing song. Final track on the 1996 No Code album. Play a bunch of highlights from all the years and all the championships. Just, I don't know if I teared up. I cry a lot more in my older age. Things uh, emotionally tear jerk me way more than I ever thought was ever going to be possible. I don't know that I teared up on this one, but to have this song close out 10 hours of, of the, you know, the, the look back at this incredible era of the, my favorite time of my life, the 1990s, to have my band close it out was so great. This is Michael Jordan right after he was drafted. Wait for it. I just want the franchise and Chicago Bulls to be respected, like the Lakers or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics. Hopefully I, that this team and this organization can build a program like that. He was just a child. He was just a kid. 20, because he played three years at North Carolina, so that would have made him at least 21 or close to it. And he did it. <laughs> he did it. And he was an asshole, and he was difficult as hell in a lot of ways. And But it was just such amazing basketball. And there were so many so many fun rivalries throughout that entire decade. And I remember the the back end of the decade better than I remember the beginning. But uh, I think I've talked about it recently. I forget. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm stupid. I forget. I think I've talked about my roots in Chicago. I know I have it some, in some kind of platform. I have every right to be a massive Bulls fan and Blackhawks fan and Cubs fan or White Sox or whoever I chose because of my pretty close ties for many years with the city. And uh, it just didn't turn out that way. And I just don't like basketball anymore. And uh, hockey, I'm not a Blackhawks fan. And I'm not a Bulls fan anymore. And I hate the Cubs. But I have this just tremendous love and just fanboy uh, borderline obsession with Eddie Vedder and, and, the, and the entire band. But Ed himself... It, even more and he is a Chicago guy and he spent a lot of time in Southern California too after he left Chicago or after after he left left Illinois excuse me it's Evansville is where he's from I'm not sure how far outside of Chicago land that that is but he has this love affair with the Bulls and the Cubs and the Blackhawks 
and uh, other members of the band Pearl Jam are huge basketball fans, huge Supersonic fans. You know the old uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, the now the Thunder, then the Supersonics. The Sonics lost one of those finals to the Bulls. So there's there's a lot of love affair with the sport of basketball, and really, we always think of Pearl Jam as being just a Seattle band. They're just as much of a Midwestern Chicago, Illinois band, really because of of Eddie's ties to the area. And I just wish I could wish I could love those stinking ass loser bleephole Cubs, but I uh, I just can't. So I just thought that was fantastic. That is a Pearl Jam song that most people who like Pearl Jam, you know, kinda likely have never heard before. And it was the perfect, perfect way to end that. One of the things about the documentary that I found the most interesting because I knew a lot about that team. I'm not acting like all 10 hours. It was you know not news to me. Plenty I didn't know there. But I never really knew a lot about Dennis Rodman. And Dennis and Eddie were pretty good friends. And um, and he was a he was a weirdo. He was he was into uh, Caucasian white rock and roll culture lifestyle. More than he he wasn't a hip hop guy. I'm sure he liked hip hop and rap probably just fine. But he dated white women. He was in uh, WCW with white you know wrestlers. Listened to alternative rock and roll music. Colored his hair. That wasn't you know that wasn't a thing that the African African American culture and community did. He was he was a different kind of cat. And I really enjoyed learning more about him. During this uh, uh, th- this ten part piece uh, from ESPN, and I stumbled on I think it was uh, I don't remember what he is not the Ringer anymore, but uh, Simmons, Bill Simmons, right in his name from ES formerly of ESPN, his podcast. He had Eddie Vedder on in the last week or so, and Eddie starts to uh, kind of look back at a couple times when he's hanging out with Dennis Rodman and the friendship. That they created. And I've got five cuts from that. I'll play those, talk about it a little bit, and then wrap up the show here shortly. This is just an overall look, Ed, talking about his friendship with Dennis Rodman and his admiration for his work ethic. When it first came about, it was actually Dennis Rodman. That was the beginning of a, a long, long, deep friendship. And, um, you know, it, it was a little nerve wracking at you know, at the beginning there, it was like, <laughs> who the fuck is this guy? But he really, the music, it, it fueled him. It, it was pretty intense. And that's when they were going through all this, this stuff, you know, it was, it was getting hot and heavy in Chicago, but he, that was his thing. He would put on our music and watch the tapes, put on his music and watch the tapes. That guy worked so hard. You know, there was all the, the, the wedding dress and, you know, all the, the stuff he would do. But, man, that guy worked hard. If you watch the doc, then you know about at least one or, I guess, two kind of Dennis Rodman goes missing stories. One where he just needs to go to Vegas, goes with Carmen Electra, and and uh, just and he asks permission, basically. And then another time where he just goes missing, and he's on WCW Nitro the next night. Well, this was a story of Ed and Dennis going to Vegas on an off day where he had to play the Supersonics in Seattle the next night. We had, we had this one. Can I tell a quick story? Yeah. Hey, John. Yeah. Can you get me a beer? Yeah. Um, so real quick, though, it was Seattle. It was regular season. 
they had a practice, and then they were going to play the next day. Back when Seattle had a team. And we're at the Four Seasons, and Phil Jackson's in the lobby, and he's smoking a cigar, and I waved to Phil, and and then um, Dennis's security guy, George, holds out three three plane tickets to Vegas. I said, what the fuck is that? So Eddie was coming to the hotel when the Bulls were in town to hang out with Dennis, thinking, you know, they'd hang at the, you know, at the room, maybe at the pool, maybe get a drink, sit around and read a book. And next thing you know, uh, there's a certain band that's playing in Vegas, and Dennis wants to go see them, and he wants Ed to come along. I said, I thought we were going to like go up. I, I brought a book. <laughs> I was like, let's sit on the couch. You just sit on one side. I was able to read books. And he said, Jane's Addiction is playing in Las Vegas. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's like fucking six o'clock. He's like, we'll get there by nine. They don't go on till 930. And I said, Dennis, just fucking. <laughs> so they're hauling, you know what, to catch a commercial flight out of Seattle to get to Vegas within the next few hours to see Jane's addiction. The reason Phil likes me is that I'm like one of his friends that will like calm him down, right? So I, I feel like, you know, Phil's looking at me like, going, what, what the fuck's going on over there with the plane tickets? <laughs> so sure enough, we end up, you know, because he's persuasive, we end up going through the fucking Seattle airport. I mean, old ladies love Dennis Rodman. I mean, we're just like running through the airport. People are like creating a running trail behind him, like this river. Dennis, Dennis screaming. And he's going, Eddie Vedder right here. Eddie Vedder right here. He's pointing at me. Uh, Such an amazing story. And uh, one more cut here coming up, and then we'll wrap things up. Eddie was never known for a big partier. He really wasn't. Um, now, there's plenty of drinking and rock star lifestyle, but it never got the best of him, and he never had, at least that was ever out there that he's ever talked about, uh, any kind of substance abuse issues, any kind of rehab stents, none of those kinds of things. He was not a have-to-go party rock star. He was, he's a very intellectual type who loves a smoke, loves a drink, and loves a bottle of wine while he plays a show. I've watched uh, some YouTube shows or shitloads of YouTube shows over the years. And every now and again, I'm like, oh, my God, Ed is drunk as F in this one. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, the guy imbibes and has some fun. But it ain't. It, it's not normal for Eddie to jump up and run off to Vegas in you know on a, on a whim. And um, in the end, they go to this show. And this is the difference in wiring of Dennis Rodman and the average person walking around. We go to Vegas. We fly to fucking Vegas. We get to the thing. We get a car. We dot it up. Blah, blah, blah. We get to the side of the stage. Jane's Addiction starts playing. Flea's playing with him. And we're sitting on a road case on the side of the stage. We each got a light beer in our hand. And Dennis looks over and he goes, he goes, this is relaxing, right? That's how on rocket jet fuel that he was, that that was relaxing. And then, you know, we didn't spend the night. We got on another commercial plane, commercial plane, you know, da-da-da, like get back. And then he had fucking whatever, 20 rebounds the next night or something. <laughs> so cool. So, so, so cool. This is the final uh, little half paragraph of this piece I pulled from, uh, it might have been Slate, I can't remember. But this is kind of uh, piggybacking off the intro to this segment. The Last Dance certainly acted accordingly. 
From there, Jordan Kerr and the rest of the Unstoppable Dream Team say their final, final words. A blitzkrieg of vintage shots and highlights race by, and then we're left with the cigar-smoking king himself. Not surprisingly, Pearl Jam gracefully accentuates these final grasps as they're known to do. After all, like Jordan, they treat every ending like it's their last dance. And, uh, man, that was so much fun. And so is this podcast today, and so is this segment. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed putting it together. On the way out the door, this is Pearl Jam Live in 2006 in New York at David Letterman's After Show, performing Present Tense. You can spend your time alone redigesting past regrets, or you can come to terms and realize you're the only one who can forgive yourself. It makes much more sense to live in the present tense. Well, take it.